Thank you, Terry. Would you stand with me this morning as we turn to God's Word? Again, we'll be uh, opening to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. This morning we're going to read verses 1 through 14. pastor continues the series on love, sex, and marriage. This morning's message focused on sexual purity in a sex-saturated society. Again, Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. You can find it on pages 676 and 677 in your pew Bible. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray this morning. As we look into your word and you reveal yourself to us, God, may you awaken us from our sleep. Lord, and just shine your light upon us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, thanks, Kirk, for leading us in our scripture reading as we continue in our series, Love, Sex, and Marriage, based on Ephesians chapter 5. How many took the, uh, the challenge that I gave out last week, and you read Ephesians 5 five times this last week? All right, raise, no, raise your hand. All right, there's a few of you that did. Let me encourage you. First of all, thank you for those that did. I just want to commend you for doing that. But let me encourage you, uh, if you haven't, take the challenge this week and, and renew your mind with God's Word. Let Ephesians chapter 5 just kind of soak into your, your heart and your mind and read Ephesians 5 five times this week. That's one, you know, read it Monday through Friday. You know, if you miss a day, pick it up on Saturday and, uh, and read it. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's 33 verses. And you can read that rather quickly. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And whether you do it in the morning, on your lunch break, uh, you know, or in the evening, it doesn't really matter. Just five times this week, Ephesians chapter 5. And just let God's Word speak to you and, uh, and kind of counter the culture's message in this topic, in this area of love, sex, and marriage. Uh, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at God's model specifically in this area for, of love, sex, and marriage. And what we've seen is that the key to lasting relationships is to walk in love. We see this in, in the first two verses of chapter 5. And Paul then begins to state it positively what it means to walk in love. That is, we are to be sacrificial, we're to be unselfish. And negatively, he says... We are to refuse to substitute sexual activity for genuine love by keeping sex within the boundaries of marriage. 
In essence, we are to, as we learned last Sunday, we are to know the difference between love and sex. Why? Because knowing the difference between these two makes all the difference. Now, today, what I want us to do is I want us to discover how to say yes to love. Not the the culture's view of love, but God's view of love. How to say yes to love and no to second-rate sex. But first, I want to throw out a question. And here's the question. In fact, it's coming up on the screen. It's a question that's been asked thousands of times by thousands of people, and that is, why should I save sex for marriage? That's the question. Why should I save sex for marriage? Now, how would you answer this question? You know, if this question was posed to you, how would you go about answering this question? Uh, It's a question that almost everyone here has asked at one time or another. Listen, parents, it's definitely a question your your kids and teens are asking, whether they have actually verbally asked it to you or not. They're asking this question. Um, And so how would you, whether you're a parent, grandparent, whatever, how would you answer this question to your kids, to your teenagers? How would you answer this question to a coworker, friend, neighbor, whatever the case may be? Uh, we all ask this question, and believe it or not, this is certainly a question that our culture has asked, and unfortunately, it's already answered without seriously considering the facts or even considering what God's Word has to say in answering this question. So what I want to do is I want to give you four reasons or facts for saving sex for marriage that aren't necessarily based on God's word, but are based on secular research. Here's what our world even says. Here's what the stats, the surveys, the research says. Listen to this. It's in your notes, coming up on the screen. Fact number one. Those who abstain from sex before marriage report the highest levels of sexual satisfaction in marriage. In fact, those who report they are very sexually satisfied in their lives, listen, are not good-looking singles who have multiple partners. Research done by the Bethesda Research Group reported in the Washington Post concluded, and I quote, couples who strongly believe that sex outside of marriage is wrong are a whopping 31% more satisfied in their sex lives. So that's the first fact from research. Fact number two is those who cohabitate or live together before marriage have a 50% higher divorce rate than those who do not. Data from the University of Wisconsin social science department shows, and I quote, couples that cohabitate before marriage increase their odds of divorce by 50%. Research discovered only 15 out of every 100 cohabitating couples were married after a decade. Researchers at UCLA discovered that not only do those who cohabitate have a higher level of divorce, they are actually more likely to commit adultery once they do get married. So there's fact number two, a why to wait, safe sex for marriage. Fact number three, by contrast, the University of South Carolina in a study says that those who abstain from sex before marriage have the highest rates of fidelity in marriage. And then our last fact, the introduction of sex in a dating relationship almost always ushers in the breakup of that relationship. Dr. Henry Brandt in the Collegiate 
Challenge magazine says there's a syndrome, a, a pattern when couples come to him for help or for counseling, whatever the case may be. They say, at first, sex was exciting. Then I started feeling funny about myself. And then I started feeling funny about my partner. We argued and fought, and finally we broke up. Now we are enemies. This syndrome is what Dr. Brandt calls the morning after syndrome. We wake up and we find that intimacy is not really there. The sexual relationship does not satisfy us anymore, and what we end up with is not what we really wanted in the first place. All you have is two self-centered people seeking self-satisfaction. And so here you have, from these facts, the more persistent our attempts to carry out our culture's method, our culture's model, the more abundant the evidence is that the mo- this model doesn't work. The culture's model for love, sex, and marriage, or lasting relationships, just doesn't work. And even our secular research backs that up. This is why we need to give God's model serious consideration. We need to seriously consider what God has to say in his word about love, sex, and marriage. And so what I want us to do is look at God's Word here in Ephesians chapter 5. This is where we are in our study in this series. And and see how and learn to say yes to love and no to second-rate sex. Three simple points this morning in learning how to say yes to love and no to second-rate sex. Number one, the first point, we need to understand that loving relationships demand sexual purity. Loving relationships demand sexual purity. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm amazed how easy it is to fall into the mindset that assumes that we can just plant the seeds of sexual immorality and still expect to reap a harvest of loving relationships, and yet we fall into that mindset. But God reminds us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, that we reap what we sow. So if we really want to reap loving relationships, then we must plant the seeds that produce those results. And those seeds are sexual purity. So Paul now, in Ephesians chapter 5, what he does, he comes to us and he gives us two basic commands for sexual purity in our relationships. And both have to do, both of these commands have to do with how we walk as Christ followers. Look at the first one. The first command is this. He says, walk in love. Your dear children of God, dearly beloved children of God, now walk in love. This is what we've been looking at for the last two weeks. Look again what Paul writes in the first two verses here. He says, therefore, be followers of God as dear children. And what? Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. One of the best illustrations of how we walk in love is seen in our sexual purity. When you really love someone, you do what is best for them. You make sacrifices. You are selfless. You care about them. And when you do that, you are following Christ's example of walking in love. Now, Just so we don't misunderstand, so we all have a clear understanding of this, God is all for sex. We know this because God's the creator of sex. He gave it as a gift to us, but he gave it within the context of marriage. 
Sex outside of marriage, as we have seen already, is wrong. Not because God is some killjoy, but because sex and sex is bad. It's wrong because loving relationships demand sexual purity. In fact, we concluded last week that God's standard, which sometimes in our culture can seem impossible, it can seem, God, do you even understand what you're asking us to live by? His standard for our sexual purity is high. And yet, his standard for our sexual purity, we have to understand, is for our own protection. God doesn't want us to experience heartache and pain that comes when we take a gift that he's given to us and we take it outside of the context in which he wants us to experience it. And his standard also, we learned last Sunday, it reflects his love for us as his dear children. We're his beloved children. He loved us so much, he gave his son for us. And one of the ways he demonstrates that love is he gives us this gift, but he doesn't let us just experience it any way we want. He says, look, it it works best in these confines within the boundaries of marriage. And so it's for our own protection. It also flows out of his compassion and love for us in which he gives us the standard. Now, after telling us about the importance of walking in love, Paul now continues with a second command for sexual purity. And this is where we're going to spend a little bit more time is on this command. Again, it has to do with our walk as Christ followers. The first one has to do with walking in love. And now Paul comes to us and he says, walk as children of light. So you have walk in love and now walk in the light. Or walk as children of light. And we see this in verses 7 through 11. Look at it with me again. I think it's in your notes. It says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Paul is basically saying, once you see the world isn't walking in love, he says, don't participate in their way of living. In other words, don't be a partaker with them. Don't associate with them. Don't live anymore the way you used to live before you came to Christ. Don't think like the world thinks in the area of love, sex, and marriage. Don't view love, sex, and marriage the same way the world views it. Why? Verse 8 tells us why. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So Paul, in this one verse here, verse 8, he's telling us two things in this verse. He's telling us, be who you are and do what you are. Did you see that there? First of all, he says, be who you are. And who are you? Well, he says, you were once what? Darkness, but now you are light. You're light in the Lord. You say, oh, darkness and light, what does this mean? Well, it means when God saved you, when you were born again by the Spirit of God, listen, He radically transformed you from darkness to light. That doesn't mean that we we stop doing everything that we've ever done wrong in our past and we start doing everything right. right. Most of us understand that because we still struggle with sin. But it does mean 
get this, that we have been radically changed from the inside out. And we now have God's power to live out our new life in Christ. Glorious, right? We can fulfill these commands, not in our own power, but because we have Christ's power now. And so we are to be what we are. Be who you are. We're light. But he also says, and since you are now children of light, Paul tells us now, do what you are. Walk as children of light. In other words, Paul is saying, in light of the fact that God has radically transformed your life, you need to live out this change, especially in the area of your sexual purity. God is light. And if you're his child, then walk as children of light. And you may be asking, at least I ask this question, well, what does this mean? What does this look like? In fact, the question's coming up on the screen. It's not in your notes. But what does walking as children of light actually look like? What does this mean practically for my life tomorrow when I go to work? What does this mean tonight when I go home with my wife or my husband? I go back to my house. What does it mean to walk as children of light? What does this mean when I go to school tomorrow? Well, I guess God knew we would be asking that question, so he gives us the answer in verse 9. Look at it. Verse 9. He says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. In other words, get this. Children of light are characterized by these three things in their life. Children of light are characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. Let me give you some simple definitions of that. Again, this isn't in your notes, but goodness is a spirit of generosity that desires to bless others in contrast to malice. Righteousness is living in a right relationship, first of all, with God, and then with others, according to God's standards. So we're living in right relationships with one another, even in our, in our marriage relationship, in a romantic relationship, even in relationships with one another as believers. We're living in right relationships with people, not according to our culture standards, but according to God's standards. That's what we've been looking at, and then truth. Truth here is the idea of living a life of integrity. It's the absence of falsehood and deception. And it's the presence of honesty and purity. And Paul says, get this, he says, living this kind of life. You say, what life? A life characterized by goodness, righteousness, and truth. Especially in the area of sexual purity. Get this. Paul says this kind of life is acceptable or pleasing to who? To our Lord. It's not necessarily pleasing, if you will, to, in our culture's eyes, because our sin nature, what's it want to do? Listen, our sin nature doesn't want to have anything to do with goodness, righteousness, and truth. We just looked previous verses. And you look at those verses, and those verses have everything to do not with those three things. The previous verses have to do with sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. 
You see the difference of those three? They're at odds. They're opposite. Paul says we are not to be characterized by sexual immorality, sexual impurity, and covetousness, but rather we, as children of light, we are to be characterized by goodness in our relationships with the opposite sex especially. We are to be characterized by righteousness, have a right relationship with the opposite sex, and we are to be characterized by truth. Not our truth, not what our media says is truth. They don't say anything is truth. But they sure want to define things for us in these areas. But we, we adopt God's truth and what he has to say. This is what should characterize our life. And when we live this way as children of light, let me tell you, we walk pleasing to our Lord, Paul says. Do you realize you can actually please God? Whoa, blow me away, right? My life can please my Lord. I can have a life that pleases God, honors God, absolutely. Not perfectly. Listen, we're all going to stumble and fall. Paul, listen, he's not coming to us in this chapter about perfection. So get that out of your head. Nobody here is perfect. So walking as children of light, get this, it produces fruit in our lives that pleases God. But it also means another thing, because Paul doesn't stop there. He also says it means exposing the unfruitful works of darkness. Look what Paul writes in verse 11 here. He says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, first it means God forbids us to participate in what he calls the works of darkness. Some of your translations may say the deeds of darkness. And we don't need to dwell on what the works of darkness are, the deeds of darkness, because Paul just explained them to us in the verses preceding all this. We just looked at that last Sunday. The deeds of darkness here in context are sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. All right? And Paul says, listen, God forbids us to participate in those works of darkness when it comes to sexual behavior. Why? Because who are we? We are now children of light. And second, it means when we walk as children of light, get this, the difference in how we live will expose the sin of those who are engaging in the deeds or the works of darkness. And the more you walk as children of light, the more you expose the deeds of darkness by how you live. Now, let me see if I can give you an example so it help you understand what this means. As you know, we just had this big, huge snowstorm. How many actually enjoyed the snow? I loved it. I thought it was great. I loved it. We haven't had snow like this in two years. But I'm, I like it one snowstorm a year and then melt away, springtime come. It doesn't always happen that way. But as you know, we just had this big snowstorm. And let's say I washed my car last night. All right? Because how many like a dirty car? I don't like a dirty car. And you know you have all this mud, snow, the salt, and it just scums up your car. It's, your car's filthy. So let's say I washed my car last night, and I come driving down the highway, and as I drive down the highway, I pass your car, and what does my clean car expose about your car? You look at my car and you go, whoa, man, that car's clean. 
looking good. And you look at your car and you're going, ugh, my car's pretty dirty. It's nasty. It needs some car wash. My, the cleanliness of my car, what does it do? It exposes the filthiness of your car. Makes it more evident, right? And Paul is saying the same thing with our lives. The more we walk in the light, goodness, righteousness, and truth in the area of sexual purity, what is it going to do? It's going to expose the works of darkness of other people that are around us. Now let me ask you, you think those people are going to like being exposed? How do you think they're going to respond when your life is exposing their darkness? Now God can use that in two different ways. Some people will respond with animosity towards you. They may lash out toward you. Our culture doesn't like being exposed. You ever notice why our media is so one-sided often? Especially against Christians and what Christians stand for and God's truth. Because we don't, our world doesn't want to be exposed. But God can also use our testimony in living as children of light to penetrate the heart of somebody. That God is working on. And draw them to you in a positive way to begin a conversation, ask questions and whatnot. To where you're walking as a children, child of light can now be a testimony in exposing their deeds of darkness. And they're going, man, this way, how I'm living, it's not working. I've experienced the heartache. I've experienced the pain. I've done relationships my way. And it's gotten me nowhere. And I see how you're living. I want some of that. What's going on? Do you see how God can use that? So there can be a positive result of it, but there's also we need to prepare for the negative. Don't be shocked if when you expose, and all of a sudden it's a friend who you thought was a friend, they're like, I, I don't like where you're coming from. What's up with this? Don't, we shouldn't be shocked by this. All right, so walking in love. In walking in the light, these two phrases picture God's dream for you. God's dream features loving, lasting relationships with demand sexual purity. And you may think sexual purity in the sex-saturated world is impossible. Let me tell you, it's not. As a child of God who's been transformed by God, it's not only possible, but the rewards are phenomenal. So what does it take to break out of the sex-saturated patterns of our culture? Well, you're going to have to have a plan of action. Everybody needs a plan of action, which brings us to our second point. Sexual purity demands a plan. Without a plan of action, maintaining sexual purity is a pipe dream. So let me give you four action steps for living God's way in the area of sexual purity. Here's the first action step. Number one is to develop biblical convictions. Develop biblical convictions. Sexual purity requires a personal commitment to God's truth. And God's truth forbids sex of any kind that is outside the marriage covenant. Now, why are convictions so important? Because convictions affect our choices in life. And when it comes to developing biblical convictions, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean just intellectually agreeing with what the Bible says. I don't mean just adopting the beliefs of your parents or people you admire or whatever. I'm talking about you 
each person here individually, personally owning God's standard for love, sex, and marriage and making it your own. This is my conviction. This is what I believe about love, sex, and marriage. So let me ask you some questions here to think about. What is your conviction about love? If you had to write it out, my conviction on love is, what would you write? In what, in, would, in what you write, would it be based on God's Word? Here's what I believe about love. And what I believe is based on God's Word. Or would you write stuff that's kind of media-driven, culture-driven? Um, you know, what is your conviction? Teens, I ask you this. Those that are single, what's your conviction about who you will go out with and who you won't go out with? What's your conviction on that? Um, what's your conviction about sex? What would you say about that? For example, is, you, is, is your conviction based on God's word? Well, God created sex and gave it to me as a gift within the confines of marriage. You see how that's, that's my conviction about it. And it's based on the truth of God's word. Or it's my belief about sex that, well, sex is for anybody that just loves each other. That's what our culture says. So what would you write about this? What is your personal conviction? What is your conviction about marriage? What's your conviction about the purpose of marriage, the roles in marriage? We're going to look at this right here, marriage, later on in the series. Um, you know, and do we base our convictions on what the culture says or what God says in his word? I would encourage you to think through, here's what I believe about love based on God's word, Here's what I believe about sex based on God's word. Here's what I believe about marriage based on God's word. And it needs to be a, a rock-solid belief or conviction. All right, that's the first action step. Step number two, consider the consequences. Consider the consequences. Fear can be a legitimate and healthy motivator for following God's commands. And verses 5 through 6 List some serious consequences. We looked at these briefly last Sunday, but I want you to see them again. Notice what the Apostle Paul writes in these verses here. Look in your Bibles. He says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, Again, these verses confront those who insist on doing relationships their own way instead of God's way. And so what God is doing through the Apostle Paul is he's reminding us of certain unavoidable consequences of doing relationships our own way outside of his boundaries. Therefore, pondering the consequences can provoke a certain amount of fear. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. In fact, it's a good thing as fear can be a healthy motivator for obeying God's commands. So what are some of the consequences that we should think about, that we should ponder in our hearts? Well, first and foremost, there are spiritual consequences. That's what Paul deals with here, the spiritual side of it. He says people who are characterized by immorality, impurity, and sexual greed will have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And Paul also tells us that the wrath of God will come upon those who persist in sexual immorality. 
And last Sunday we saw that that word come is in the present tense, meaning we experience aspects of God's wrath now in this lifetime. So we should consider the spiritual consequences of our choices in the area of sexual purity. Paul's outlining those fours right here. Consider them. We should also consider the relational consequences um, of what sexual sin will do to the person you're involved with or our spouse or our children. We should also calculate the financial price tag of what happens, how it you know, blows up in a marriage. And there's a financial price tag that's, that's there. I don't know about you, but I find pondering the consequences very healthy in my own personal life. How many have ever, you've, you've thought about the consequences before? You've actually kind of taken time to think about them. I, I've done this, not as often as I probably should. But when I'm facing the temptations of sexual immorality and purity, here's kind of what I think about. I picture in my mind calling the family conference. And we're sitting around our kitchen table with my wife and my two boys. And my wife is sitting there in tears as I tried to explain to my boys and my wife how I blew it as a husband and as their dad. I mean, I cringe as I think of the look in my boys' eyes as I tell them, I betrayed your mom. And the look in my wife's eyes as I now try to convince her, I still love you. Even though my actions said anything but Don't leave me. We can make this work. We can work it out. And then after allowing my mind to play out these painful scenes, I imagine standing before you all as a church congregation and confessing my failure as your pastor. And then I see the disappointment, the anger, and the sadness in your faces. And when I think about that, I am motivated to stay sexually pure in my marriage in these areas we've been talking about. Folks, I encourage you, ponder the consequences of your choices. They can be healthy. It can be very healthy. Step number three, predecide your actions. Predecide your actions. Advanced decision-making is absolutely essential for sexual purity. There are certain areas in our spiritual lives that require us to stand firm and do battle with the enemy. But there are also certain areas in our spiritual lives that require us to flee when it comes to the enemy. And 2 Timothy 2.22 describes what fleeing means. Listen to what it says in the New Living Translation. It says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Now, who doesn't understand what we just read there? Follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace and enjoy the companionship of those who call upon the Lord with pure hearts. The idea here, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, the idea is to escape youthful lust. It's not about being strong at this point in your life. It's about knowing when to retreat for the sake of your sexual purity. Putting ourselves in tempting situations is like embracing fire and then wondering why we are burned. Gee, why did I get burned? Well, I guess because I held a hot coal. I got burned. We're not strong enough for many temptations, especially sexual temptations. No one is. 
So the key here is to what I call pre-decide your actions. And pre-deciding, listen, it's not about being legalistic, but it's about being realistic about yourself and God's best in your life. Now, to kind of help us with that, and especially if you're a man here this morning, I encourage every one of us who are males, and even females though, because more and more females are experiencing problems, struggles, and even addictions to, to pornography. Most of the time, our, our, stereos, our, our mindset is that this is only a man issue, man problem. That those days are gone. And I would encourage you to read this article here. Stare at Jesus, not porn. Nine ways to fight lust. It's an article written by B.J. Stockman. Uh, it's a great little article, great read to put into practice to help you pre-decide your actions in this area uh, of temptation for a lot of us. Okay? It's there for your benefit. Step number three, the last, or four, I should say, the last step in developing a plan for sexual purity is live to please God. Seek the support of other Christ followers to help you walk pleasing to the Lord. Now notice this carefully. The Bible doesn't say, walk alone as a child of the light. Rather, Paul writes, and he chooses his words carefully through the Holy Spirit, He says we are to walk as, what word does he use? Children, together with other believers. He doesn't use the word child singular. He uses the word children. Children is plural. Walk as children. It's not walk as a child. We don't go solo in this. God's plan for love, sex, and relationships must be carried out, yes, by individuals, but by individuals in community with other believers. Do you realize that almost every New Testament command is in the second person plural? You've heard of the one another commands? It's all about doing life together. We do it with the support and encouragement in community with other believers. My best friend from college, he's from Houston, Texas. Was born in Houston, raised in Houston. He still lives in Houston. So we go down to Houston quite, a, quite often, visit he and his wife. And when he talks, he says, y'all. Y'all. Bruce and Darla. Hey, y'all want to come down and see us sometime? Y'all. This phrase, that phrase fits really well right here. Because if the Apostle Paul was from Texas, we, he would have said it this way. Y'all walk as children of light. You all walk as children of light. Listen, we can't do this on our own. But together we can experience victory in our sexual purity. You have to have help in this area. You say, well, why do we need the support of other Christ followers? In order to fulfill the closing thought in verse 10. Look what Paul writes. He says, proving or learning what is acceptable to the Lord. That word acceptable is also translated as pleasing. It's the same idea that we get in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Another translation says it this way, to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. As Christ followers, our goal is to please God. 
in a small group of Christ followers can bring a big help or can be a big help in our lives as we seek to please God in our sexuality. You've got to have a support group in this. You need it. We all do. And that's why I love our grow groups. Our grow groups are a great place in, for this to thrive in if done right. So, how do we say yes to love and no to second-rate sex? We embrace these first two principles. Loving relationships demand sexual purity. And number two, sexual purity demands a plan. And remember, the purpose behind these principles is God's love for us. And when we live by God's commands, let me tell you, the rewards are phenomenal. Which brings us to number three. The reward for sexual purity is pleasing. It's pleasing. It's not only pleasing to God, first and foremost, but let me tell you, it's now pleasing to us, to you. And if you're married, the reward for sexual purity is pleasing to your spouse as well. But before we can enjoy God's awesome reward for sexual purity, we must first, notice this coming up on the screen in your notes, wake up. Wake up and realize God's way works. I love how the Apostle Paul concludes this discussion on relationships in verse 14 when he writes, Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We need to wake up to the reality that our culture's formula just doesn't deliver what it advertises. We need to wake up to the reality that God's plan works when it comes to love, sex, and lasting relationships. Does this mean that our relationships are perfect? No. Of course not. Are relationships hard? Is marriage hard? Are there struggles in marriage? Is there conflict in marriage? Yes. Listen, marriage is, is, you know, is two sinful and selfish people coming together. And there are bound to be conflicts. It's bound to be hard. But through God's grace, those two people do relationships God's way. And let me tell you, it works. Ask some of these people, these senior adults sitting over here that have been married for 50 years, 60 years or longer. Ask them. Talk to them. Hey, how'd you make it that long? What was the secret? And they may not give you all these fancy answers. It may be pretty simple. You know what? We just we were committed to one another. And we were committed to the Lord. And we were committed to just working it through. The second thing we need to realize when it comes to doing relationships God's way is you can start today. It's never too late. Perhaps you've thought several times already, Bruce, man, this series is just too late for me. You don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. I've looked for love and sex in all the wrong ways. I've been in a number of relationships, and nothing is left but emotional scars. You're right. I don't know your story specifically. But God does. He knows every detail of your past and present relationships, and God's love for you is still the same. Listen, no matter where you've been or what you've done, it's never too late with God. You can start today. You can say, by the grace of God and with the help of Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell him I'm sorry for my past. I'm going to ask him to forgive me. I'm going to make a commitment beginning today to sexual purity. Today you can start walking in love. You can begin to stroll in the light, if you will, and begin enjoying God's best for you when it comes to love, sex, and relationships. But you've got to make the choice to start somewhere. 
to start today. And when you do, God can and he will do for you what he's done for so many others. And then finally, lest we assume or give the impression that, quote, everybody's doing it, let me close with this, a word to virgins. You are not weird. You're wise. Young people, those of you that still have your virginity, listen, do not let our culture tell you you're weird. Young ladies, men, you're not weird in the eyes of God. You're wise in the eyes of God, and it is pleasing to God. And you're not alone either. There are other people who have made the choice to wait until marriage. So hang in there. Don't give up your purity for a moment of pleasure. It'll be worth it, and you'll look back with no regrets. Here's the deal. What if I could tell you how to enjoy intimacy with your spouse, how to give your marriage a 50% better chance of surviving, and how to live a guiltless, healthy, satisfying life? Who would be interested? Almost everyone in our culture would say, sure, tell me how. They would also be shocked and perhaps disappointed with the answer because it begins with sexual purity. Remember, being a virgin isn't weird. It's profoundly wise in the eyes of God. So will you say yes to God's kind of love and no to our culture's kind of sex? That's the question. You say, well, how do I do that? You embrace God's truth that loving relationships demand sexual purity. You live by a plan that honors God and others and keeps sex sacred. And you anticipate reaping the awesome rewards of sexual purity in all your relationships. That's how. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you give to us in Ephesians chapter 5. And yes, Lord, your standard is high, and it may at times seem impossible to live by, and yet, Lord, you don't live us hanging. You have given us your power, your spirit. We are your children. And so help us to walk in love. Help us to walk in the light of your truth. Lord, help us to be characterized by goodness in righteousness and truth, knowing that That kind of life is pleasing to you. Lord, help us not to give up in this fight in sexual purity. Help us to do battle, but to do it in your power and not our own. Lord, help us to seek the support of other Christ followers along the way. Lord, we need your help. We need your grace. We want to reap the rewards and the benefits of being sexually pure. And Lord, that can start today. It can start now, regardless of what our past has been. Lord, today, you can begin a work in our lives going forward, whether we're single, single again, or married. And so I pray that as the praise team sings, that we now, as a, as a people, We will respond in our hearts, respond in prayer 
to this message and what we've heard. Perhaps we just need to make a, a, a renew our commitment to you and to live according to your standard in this area of our lives. Whatever the case may be, Lord, would you work. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As the praise team sings, let me encourage you to respond as God leads you.